course greatly it's you really want that for Jesus and uh, it to, to yearn and want something for him and it is is your highest possible desiring there's there's no finer or more more elegant or large matter that your heart doesn't stretch any larger than I want Jesus to enter his glory because it, it squares and moves into the love that the father has for his own son and the, the passion passage we examined last time John 17 26 I hope you were meditating on that and, and just hearing Jesus own voice solemnly eagerly state that to the Father eyes wide open that he would indeed accomplish this that the love with the Father has for the Son would actually be in people like you and I that late in time, early in time all the way to time he would never cease to make the Father presumably in increasing measure and so this matter of revelation start, starts awakening in us and stirring in us and building in us a sturdy Desire that is central to which all the desires are find themselves they're, they're released and focused and and and, uh, and 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 flower out into the the perfect pageant of beauty that we were created to be together as a people. So and you yourself. So so that desiring to want for Jesus real bad that He would come into His glory. That simple notion when it rammed into these guys disappointed drifting hearts what it did is it, is, it, is it poured accelerant on their hearts which were probably already kindled Jesus just told them they were slow of heart didn't, didn't accuse them that they, they had no heart but, but their hearts were just on some sort of drag mechanism to just kind of believe in one thing at a time but not everything and so they had little compartments and little safety nets all rigged up in their life to not get burned again with going overboard on God. You know, I mean, does that, is that that's that's right what they were in the midst of doing? Is saying, "Gosh, you know, they were drifting back out of town, saying, well, I don't know, no more Messiahs for me.' That was, I mean, I don't know if I can do any. Anybody else comes along, I'm just not sure about this. You can imagine them saying that. Jesus walks alongside them. Helps them see the big picture that God has been doing something for Himself, and it's real. It is so real; it's been unfolding through the story. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then He did something. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He told them that, but He opened their minds so that they could read about it, like we're reading it, and see more and more. And we're going to find that 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 there's more than could have possibly been described in seven miles of walking. <laughs> And that no wonder he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. Because there's, there's, there's much there. So let's ask God to do that again. Lord Jesus, we come to you and we, uh, we come slow of heart still, but uh, quickened and accelerated somehow because of, of the desiring in your heart. And uh, we are here, Lord, somehow beckoned by you. We find ourselves um, just walked with by you and encouraged in heart. And we ask, Lord, that you would do this again, that you would open our minds to understand the scriptures.
the very scriptures you've breathed with your own very spirit, surely it's not a hard thing for you to make these plain, make these clear to us. Lord, we're sorry we've locked down our minds and uh, are so uh, prejudiced and fussy and uh, obstinate. And, uh, and uh, we, we don't want to go mindless. We want to be, have fully awakened and attuned minds that are aligned in, in, to, to the ways that your, mind, your own mind works. We're encouraged to have the same mind in us which is also in Christ Jesus. A whole attitudinal and, and uh, desire set that, that, that moved him. We want to have what's in us, what's in Jesus. And so that's why we come to you that, uh, with, with our minds needing help. You open the minds of men and women at one point. It says so right in the very verse we discovered. We ask that you would do this again for us tonight. Be pleased, O oh Lord, to speak and teach us. We love you. We love you even more than we did last week. You're bringing an increase about. And it must be because your son's worthy. So we thank you. Amen. Okay. Um, the, the, the notes here, um, we're going over um, a practical passion for God's glory. This is session two. And uh, let me just point out what, what this basic dynamic is of the, the, the greater glory. God reveals his glory to all nations so that he may receive glory from all creation. We're not going to be going into the all creation business, but you'll find plenty of scripture that says that the creation was subject to futility, not of its own will, but it was subjected in hope that uh, something would come out from the freedom of the glory the children of God, you know, would come forth for all creation. But, uh, but for now, we can see that there'll be glory within history from every nation. So this statement probably blows beyond history a little bit, that, that all creation would find its redemption. But uh, the redemption of our bodies is, is what the Romans 8 hope is. But we can anticipate that there would be uh, some, some sufficiently comprehensive redemption of the nations that from every one of the nations there would be a reception of His glory. Now we're going to be going over the, re, the, the second stroke, the receiving of glory from all nations. We're going to be going over that in sessions... Um, Actually, three, four, five, and some in six. Six is going to be kind of a wrap-up thing with uh, some of the best stuff. Um, the stuff that melts me down anyway, I save till then. But um, God reveals His glory to all nations. Uh, we're, we, we race through a big punk, bunch of the story there. We're going to run through the story another time, pick up some of the same themes, color in a whole lot more detail about how God reveals His glory to all nations. And, uh, and, and, and then we'll go over the same story, like I said, in sessions 3, 4, 5, to uh, show how He's receiving His glory. So that's, does that give you enough structure for the course? A little bit. And uh, it's the same Bible story we'll be working on. The key events of the story, I wanted to go over this just a little bit um, so you get a, a sense of timeline here. I don't know if I'm focused or not. I'll have to see. Um, I mean, uh, Where's the, oh, this? It's here. Probably good enough. Um, so here's. Um, let's put you here at uh, roughly 2,000, right? And uh, let's put uh, let's put Jesus here in the middle. Let's put uh, at 2,000 um, um, 2,000 BC, roughly. 
we'll put Abraham maybe off a hundred years or so but we're doing mega centuries here it's, it'll, it'll work just so you know that's Abraham in Hebrew to impress you do you see that? <laughs> um, now um, I had to tell you where you were you wouldn't know what this was you couldn't relate to this but here's you right here here you need to know this there that's you smile and um, now, uh, all, along in the middle, we're, we're celebrating this year uh, David's 3,000th birthday. Did you know that? Or, no, entry into Jerusalem. Right, right, right. Oh, excuse me. And uh, very interesting. What a Palm Sunday thing. So I can't be all um, lost on that. So it's David's, David's uh, deal there. Of course, there was, um, there was a few other things. I'm going to color in just roughly sequence here. I'm not trying to get to the dates down, but... You know, some people get Moses and Noah mixed up. There's a big difference. Noah is like way off the sand here, okay? Noah's before. Okay, Moses comes, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then there's this 400 years uh, in here that are um, in Egypt. And then comes Moses, see? So Moses is here. And Joshua comes after him. And, the, and so we're going up out of Egypt. We're going into the land during this time. And, uh, that, of course, there's that extra 40-year period wandering around the wilderness. Okay, that's where we are. And then we come into the land of... Some of you are going, how come he's going over this? Is it, some people, we just need a refresher. And so, Moses goes along. I mean, after, after we get into the land, um, there's a, a period of time when the tribes are, are kind of settling out and trying to settle things with each other. Of course, they turn on each other's enemies, and and uh, they need. There's enough external enemies that they need uh, this period of judges where we where we uh, have Saul come along, and then of course after Saul is David, David, and Solomon comes after him. Remember we talk about Solomon's temple. The temple gets built right here just after David's life under Solomon's um, domain, and we talked about the. The, how, how God had made his name great in Moses first time in, in history anywhere he's going to do it one singular moment there's going to be a memorial name for all generations all nations he's going to set up a track record for himself and he does not want to have that just sort of not work out and maybe try again in China with some family he's not pulling together multiple stories that are equivalent accounts of how you can also know God. There's no, there's no myth that comes close to a redeeming, saving God that becomes a God of a family that's a family for all families. There is no other religion that even, even, even harbors half the notions that are distinctive to the story we're looking at. And God has said He wants to do it one time, and that's the one time He said, that's where we discovered His name, that track record about Himself, the, 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 the knowledge of Himself that He wants to reveal and embed in actual history, uh, facts of, of history, and have a book about it so that it can be translated and retold with, with some semblance of, track, of, of check and balance and accuracy. That happens once. So that's why it's, that's why this story is very important. Solomon, we ran to that point of the story, and then we begin to explore how the, there's divided kingdom, and they go out of Egypt into exile. Uh, excuse me, out of Canaan, out of out of the the promised land into an exile situation in the northern um, imperial domains of Babylon and Nineveh and all that kind of thing, and then we come back. Um, with Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, another 400 year period ensues of, of, um, of no scripture 
but all kinds of action, which we don't have time to go over in this class, uh, of searching and trying out different Messiah models, and all of them kind of coming crashing down. And then Jesus comes, and then there's then there's still very much every bit as active of a history. God didn't just stop doing stuff, and 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 has it on pause. The pause button isn't hit. You know, this, the, the things are really happening all the way along up until now, and. We think something's going to come to a, a pretty, some sort of culmination soon, it seems. Now, I want to go over that because um, it, that timeline is, is, is a very viable key thing. Um, and, and we're going to fill in some of those details now. <clears throat> the story of his glory, remember, I want to review this a little bit. Uh, God makes his name great. He makes his name great by... by uh, trouncing on all the gods of Egypt at Exodus uh, point uh, as they're coming out of Egypt he, uh, he says I'm going to proclaim my name through all the earth and, uh, and, and that's what he's doing at, at the Exodus he's making a name for himself as it is to this day and uh, that's, that's the public global wide declaration that continues something that was a little more private with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It was more a family affair then. It did redound, as we're going to see, I think next lesson, we're going to, we're going to go back to, to Genesis and take a look at the events that happened there because they're more worship dynamic, how God receives uh, some glory there. And so it, 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 it rounded out global occasionally, but God wanted to establish an unbroken series, a sequence of revelatory, uh, a revelatory story from Exodus on. He made his name great. All Israel had to do was make it known. And things were going good. God, God said, I want a place for my name where people can come and encounter uh, uh, me and worship and know that, that, that when they pray, I'm answering. It's me. It's not just you know, that they, they cross their fingers or something like that. And so that the, 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 demonst the, the demonstrative love that I show in their lives is the same love that I have covenantally displayed with other people. And, and actually, the temple was, was the entree point of how nations could join in to the covenant of Israel, because it, it was there was it was it was open for the nations to come and bring their their own offerings, as we're going to see. Now, God made His name great. All Israel had to make His His name known. It didn't really work out that way. Now, here's what happened um, when they came out of Egypt. The point C there: faithfulness despite the defection in the in the desert. What we have in uh, in the book of Exodus is He come up to. Um, to, uh, um, here's, here's some of the Ten Commandments. The first, uh, the first three here, Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. And uh, th that's something right there, that there's some issue of other gods going on. And, uh, it, it, and th there's, there's a jealousy already at work here. You can see, make no idol for yourself, and it gets a little more detail in verses 4, 5, and 6 of Exodus 20. But, uh, but you, find, um, you find God enunciating something about who He is. Verse 5, You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children of the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. There's some sort of, of a jealousy here for His namesake regarding the idolatry that, that goes on through a story of a people. And so actually what I'm saying is verse 5 and 6 starts telling us that God has something He's going to demonstrate over time in people's lives. He's a, he's a jealous God. Why else would, in, would, would, would the recompense 
have, a, have this timeline of, of generations be attached to it. And we're going to see this, these very kind of statements come, come shouting out at us again tonight. So I'm just, I'm just get ready for this to be reprised. You don't have to grasp it all right now. But, but you know, God, was, as he brought these people to himself, he says, I, I've, I've rescued you as if on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. That's basically what he says. I brought you to myself. It wasn't, he got, he got, wow, I got you out of Egypt. Isn't that cool? And uh, go get jobs or something. You got slaves and stuff. And now you get busy and show people good examples. No, he says, I brought you to myself. And we're going to explore that further when he says, let my people go that they may worship me. That's the whole point. Uh, but when he brings them to himself, he wants to bind uh, the relationship in covenantal style, which is more than just casual treaty or contract. It's a total life promissory event that, that covers, extends into generations. That's what God's saying here, is that, is that I'm not just making a deal with you and when you die, I guess it's over. He's saying, this goes on forever because I've been doing something a long time. I'll be doing it for a long time and forth. Verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Lord will not leave unpunished him who takes his name in vain. Now this is not saying, God damn it, or something like that. Um, it, it, it could have vague uh, pertinence to that, but if you start, it certainly has nothing to do with like just um, nasty language, you know, scatological kind of stuff. What it, what it has to do is, is, is swearing falsely in his name is where you get the parallel passages where you say, I'll, uh, I promise I'll, I'll repay the loan, uh, so help me God. Really, so help you God? Yeah. And so, wow, the guy swore on a stack of Bibles. Uh, you know, got, kind of like co-signing alone with God. If I don't come through, God will pay you. And if you're doing that knowing you're not going to come through, you're basically um, trivializing God's name and, and make, it's not like making, don't make me look bad, you know, I'll break your face. That's not what God's trying to say. He, he's, he's, he's trying to say, have a reverence and an awesome honor for what you enter into. Uh, basically, I don't co-sign loans. Is what God's saying. So, you, you you don't mess with God's name, but somehow God's name was was an important thing there. And right at the time when they were going into that, um, I don't have all these passages on on scripture uh, on on overhead. So if you could look at Exodus um, with me, what happened in um, as. Um, as in Exodus 32, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron, verse 1, Come make us a god who will go before us. As this man brought us up from Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So they wanted a god of some sort. Now, they, now they'd already been advised that, that they're not to have other gods. They've already gone through all that. They've, they've, they've accepted all this. God was just getting it nicely printed up in rocks or, or something, I think, the tablets of stone. And, uh, and so they knew that, that not to do this uh, kind of God thing. But, you know, the story, Aaron made the God and, uh, and really got squirrely when he got pinned down. It was really him that did it. Um, but um, look what happens in verse 8. Uh, oh no, verse 7. The Lord said to Moses, Go down at once, your people whom you have brought up from the land of Egypt, they have corrupt themselves, they have turned aside from the way which I have commanded them, they made themselves a molten calf, they worshipped it, and said, This is your God. And um, 
the Lord said to Moses, I've seen these people. They are an obstinate people. The, the, the literal is, a, is some sort of stiff-necked kind of thing. Now let me alone that my anger may burn against them. Verse 10, Exodus 32. And I may destroy them. I will make of you a great nation. Consider the bargain. Now, there's an obstinate people. Um, I, I, I've made my name great. I've attached my name sake to them. And already they're saying, "This is your God." Of all, it, it's not like this is your God for 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 keg parties, you know, or something. It's just like they said, "This is your God who brought you out from Egypt," you know, which is really confusing. I mean, it precisely profanes the very issue that God had just made a global offense, you know. And uh, and so it's 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 really um, it, it's a direct strike on God's global glorification program. Do you see that? And, and so, and so he says, "Let me, let me um, alone. Basically, back off. You know, get a 500 yards here. I'll destroy them, and I'll make of you a great nation. Now, why does he need a nation? He seems to always uh, be steady in this. He's going to have a people for his name. There's going to be a people that that can demonstrate that God blesses people. They walk in the covenant, and this becomes the people. It becomes a people for all the peoples. He says, "I." Uh, when he brought them up to Sinai, he said, I, "I made you a priestly people amongst all the nations." And uh, so he had to have a people. So it's a very very interesting deal. What would you do if you're Moses? Would you say, "Sure, I'll I'll take that deal. That sounds uh, that sounds good. I didn't like those guys anyway." Um, the, the the Lord. Uh, uh, heard something else from Moses. Verse 11, the Lord entreated the Lord as God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with a great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying, with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Now what's, what's basically Moses saying here? He, he doesn't say, oh that's just not like you. He's basically saying more than that. He says the nations are watching. The nations will establish amongst themselves not just a rumor mill. It'll it'll get chipped into hieroglyphs. This is the kind of God you were. That you're petulant, um, untrustworthy. That you actually you know trap people for you know some sort of cat and mouse game just. Just to smash people in the desert, you know, kind of like some kid with a magnifying glass with an anthill. You know, you just, you, it, it was that kind of character reference. That'll be yours for a long time. So he's actually arguing with God on a, a, a man who knows God face to face, friends with God. He, he argues with God on, on, the, on the wavelength that he knows is how God's thinking. So this is a clue uh, how to, how to uh, consider God. So verse 13 says, Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Remember, that's God's track record name. Whom you just swore by yourself and said to them, I'll multiply your descendants. Verse 14, so the Lord changed his mind about the harm which you do to his people. So Moses went down and broke the, and, and broke the rocks in a, in a deal. We can't, um, we can't go into that, that detail of, of that encounter. I just need to set the backdrop here. But um, Moses, um, for a long time, he, he, you know, they, they got rid of the calf, they burn it, ground it to powder I don't know how you ground gold to powder but they did and, and all kinds of things and then Moses says now what? We, now I just got to meet with God and find out what, what he's going to do with us and so there, there's a prolonged period of time in which 
Moses every day would go into the little tent they had made, the tent of meeting, and all the people would stand up and say, whoa, you know, what's God going to do now? And say, because there would be glory all over the place. And uh, that's what you have in ch- chapter 33, verse 9. There would be the pillar of cloud would descend, stand at the entrance. And the Lord would speak with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud. All the people would stand and rise and worship each at the entrance of his tent. There, you know, it was, it was not just, oh, it, 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 this went on for weeks, for all we know. You know, every day, just people saying, we're in trouble. You know, you know, you know how you had to stay in your room, wait for dad to get home, or something like that, and um, and you imagine that going on for weeks, and every day, you know, a, you know, grim-faced Moses, you know, or maybe did he have the veil? I don't know, maybe he did, you know, but he he would go into this temple and just and have a long discussion. Every day, he'd come out again. What happens? Just didn't say anything. You know, so it was it was that kind of situation, but. Here we get inside story, verse 12, about what happened. Moses said, you, you, you said to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know uh, whom you will send with me. Moreover, you have said, I have known you my name, and I've, you have found favor in your sight. So Moses first establishes that Moses is known by God, by name, in intimate ways. There's a, and he says... Um, that, that, that I have found favor in your sight. There's an established thing that Moses has favor in God's sight. Now therefore I pray, verse 13, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you, that I might find favor in your sight. He says, I, I want to grow in knowing your ways. He, and to know your purposes, to know your ways, that I could really just know your heart. So, once again, Moses is pursuing God and I just commend this kind of pursuit to you. But I want to present to you the intercessory dynamic here. Is he, he first establishes this phenomena that is increasing, that he enjoys favor with God. And he's, he's going to be asking for God's people, but first he asks for himself. He says, do something for me, because I, I know you have favor on me. And would you also do that for the people? You see how, how he's going to do that? And... Um, and, and that's how, verse 14, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. And he says, If your presence does, does not go up, don't leave us up from here. How can it be known that I found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is not by your going with us that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other peoples who are on the face of the earth? So he, he basically knows God's going to sort out a people and sanctify his name along with the distinctive people. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you've spoken. For you have found favor in my sight, and I have known him by name. So God, Moses asked for the people based on the favor he has. So he starts with himself, moves out. So now he's got what? He, he, he's negotiated to the point somehow. He sought God and, and entered into God's heart and ways so that he's, he's obtained promise from God that, that God will move with them in, in some sort of personal presence. But Moses also knows what's most profoundly on God's heart. And his next request shows it. Verse 18. What's it, what is that? Lord, I pray what? Show me your glory. If the same pattern of prayer is there, he's going to be saying, show me your glory. Well, if you have favor on me, show them your glory too. You see? Just display your beauty. I just don't want to know your ways. I, I, I don't want to just track on you invisibly. Thanks for the invisible, wonderful presence. But display your glory. 
And he's not just going to ask for himself. That's where he starts. He's going to ask for more. But God knows all this and jumps right to the right to the point. He says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you, proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious upon whom I'll be gracious, and be show compassion on whom I show compassion. What's he what God's actually saying here is that is that we don't have to funnel all the favor and the grace through you. I just I'm just gracious flat out to whoever I choose. And compassion, whoever, whoever I choose. My compassion is vast. We don't have to route it all through you. Good prayer, but I'm going to make, but I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I'm going to proclaim your name. I won't show you my glory. He's going to say, you can't see my face. You can't see the ineffable intimacy of that kind of situation in the human condition right now. It vaporizes you or something. I don't know what happens. This is uh, no one can see see me in that kind of. Um, there's, a, there's a New Testament passage he dwells in unapproachable light and yet we're constantly said to approach him that's, not a, that's really not a problem you know there, there's, a, there's a certain kind of proximity to the very face of God that is, it's not for you right now or me right now or even Moses right now and uh, even though we talk face to faces with a friend God says look you know, um, I want to display I will, I'll pass before you but I'm going to tell you something I'm not just going to shazam you in a dark corner. And so you come blithering back like something that should be printed in the National Enquirer. You know, yes, it's up and then it was like there's wheels and stuff in us. Ah! And, and, uh, and uh, it, it, you know, even, even though that's exactly how they took Ezekiel. Because um, God does display awesome encounters with himself. But he says, uh, the, the, uh, I know which track you're on, Moses. Is the purpose, the, my purpose to display my glory. Here's how, let me just cut to the chase and tell you what we're going to do. I'm going to tell you my name. I'm going to proclaim my name. I'll come close to you, but what I'm going to leave with you is not just a, a story. I'm not going to give you a little camera to take a snapshot of my face and say, well, it really looks like this. I'm going to tell you my name. Does that make sense? And so he says, uh, "Come back tomorrow. Bring some rocks to write on, and uh, and and we'll do that." And so, verse five of chapter thirty-four: The Lord descended in the cloud and stood there with him as he called upon the name of the Lord. We're going to talk about that next time. What does it mean to call on the name of the Lord? Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed. What did God say he was going to proclaim? His name. And this is. Uh, this is the long version of uh, of uh, God's name. I've got it here with one typo. Pardon me, typo in God's name. But um, <laughs> the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, "The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. Yet who by no means leave the guilty unpunished, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children and the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations." And Moses heard and bowed low and hit the dust and, went and kept worshiping. And, 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 and the, the, the stiffest memory of God, uh, of the whole experience, was that this name. Now, I don't know what, what you think of this name. Now, remember, he said there's three kinds of name last time. What are they? In, in any order. Anybody remember one of them? The fame name. I want, you, I want, I want you to really remember that fame name. What are a couple others? Name tag name. And what's the, other, the third one? 
Window name, revelatory name, right. There, let's take them in order of the way I present them. There's the name tag name, which is a reference name. So El Shaddai is listed under E. You know, and it's one of the names by which we reference that's that God. Window name or the revelatory name is when you consider El Shaddai and its translation, the God Almighty, he starts saying something about God to you. And you go, that is right. He is Almighty. And somehow God loves to shine a whole lot of light through these little windows of his name. Okay? Now, there's the fame name, and that is the track record, the reputation, the news about him that it has a public dimension to it. And all these things are God's name, and they're not all, always start, started out. But when God says, I'm going to proclaim my name, you know, I don't know how we fit this on a name tag. But if you really consider it, this is a summary of the way God's always been and the way he's always going to be. And if Israel, just suppose Israel was supposed to be a missionary nation, what kind of gospel would Israel have to share? You know, they don't go around saying, well, have you ever heard of the Ten Laws? We don't have, have laws. Which tablet's your life, you know? They, 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 wouldn't, uh, they wouldn't have that kind of program, a proclamation, because, you know, we think someone's going to die for our sins, but, you know, can, do you, can you want to sign up for a future salvation or something? So a lot of people suggest that Israel had no gospel, no mission thing, because that only happened after Jesus. But I want to suggest to you that in this name is summarized just about everything you'd ever want to know about God. Because look at this, he, he's, he's compassionate and gracious. There's, there's, some sort of, um, there's some sort of love that is more than abundantly stated here. And th there's a slowness to anger. There's some sort of uh, temperance and, and beauty to what, what's there. There's the, 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 a personhood. It's not a mechani mechanical thing. But he's abounding in loving kindness and truth. The, the steadfast love, the, the faithfulness is another way to translate the truth. Those are covenantal terms. He enters into covenant and sticks with it. Who keeps this covenant love for thousands. And he, he forgives sin. Of every sort. Yet... He does punish sin, so you don't want to mess with it, you know, and there's something ongoing about it, and we don't, I don't want to take time now to go into the, the, the mysteries of this uh, third and fourth generation and grandchildren stuff, but I don't know um, what you think uh, about the gospel in the Old Testament, but I think this, this is all you need to know to get as saved as you could get. That will satisfy any dispensational scheme I've ever heard of. And uh, if, if you can only get saved a little bit, then that's all you need to know to get saved a little bit. If you get saved all the way, then it's all there. And in a sense, they, they carried uh, news about God's name. Now that's really important uh, uh, as, as we move ahead. And, uh, and, and so they, they ended up settling things out and God sent his, uh, his presence with them they moved on with that, that worship thing we're going to explore the worship more they got into the land and, uh, and that's what I call the, um, the uh, faithfulness despite the defection in the, in the desert now when they were into the land they, they balked at the border what happened there? Numbers 13 remember uh, you can turn to Numbers 13 they were supposed to go in and get a report about the land and the people sent 12 guys one from every tribe sounded like a good way to make a committee and, but trouble is it was a committee and, and, uh, and so there, there were two guys that came back with, with this bold hop, happy hopping report about what God was doing the other ten came back with a mediocre report it got worse 
as the hysteria, the, the feedback got, came uh, redounding back, coming back, and so they kind of, they kind of fussed around till they, they came up, total hysteria, and they, and they bagged it. Now, um, it, it turned to Numbers 14, and, uh, and it turns out that, that um, Joshua pled with the people, don't do this, and they started taking up rocks that were going to stone Moses and Aaron, and presumably Joshua Caleb, I think, and, uh, and then it says, um, the glory of the Lord appealed, uh, appeared. You see that in Numbers 14? Verse 10, is it? Yeah. Yeah. The congregation took up stones. And she can be stones in all the hands. And then, if you, can, if you can listen to what verse 10 sounds like, the glory of the Lord appeared, and uh, you can hear a lot of stones drop. Thump, 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 thump. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they remembered their long, prolonged time earlier. Um, and uh, this is what uh, God I have this part up, up on the screen the Lord said to Moses how long will this people spurn me how long will they not believe in me despite all the signs they have performed in their midst the world's going to believe through their testimony and I do miracles in their face and they can't they can't seem to track with me a little while here um, look I, here's what I'm going to do Moses I'll smite them with a pestilence and dispossess them and I'll make you into a nation greater and mightier than they does that sound familiar? It's years later, but it's the same thing. Back off. I gotta have a nation, but this isn't the, this isn't working. Moses said to the Lord, "Then the Egyptians will hear of it." Does this sound familiar too? For by your strength you brought these people up from their midst, and they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. They have heard that you, O Lord, are in the midst of this people. For you, O Lord, are seen eye to eye while your cloud stands over them, and you do go before them, a pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. No God ever you know, traveled with his people in that kind of awesome presence. Now, if you slay this people as one man, then the nations who have heard of your name, see the, see the issue here of his name? See how this is on the real timeline? And, and potential timelines are branching out? See how contingent things are? Are you? Is this alive or what? This is not just a stuffy if maybe in prophecy. This is this is a hinge point, and and they've already heard of your name. They're going to say because the Lord could not bring them in this land, which He promised them by oath. Therefore, He slaughtered them in the wilderness. Basically, God's going to save face. God's a wimp, can't come through. You know, met some greater gods in Canaan and had to just dis, you know, dismantle his people, kind of tuck it, sweep it under the rug, step on it, get it over with. He says, now that's what's going to be said about you. Now look at this. I love it. Now I pray, verse 17, let the power of the Lord be great, just as you've declared. Let your power be great, just as you've declared. This is a great way to pray. Verse 18, the Lord is slow to anger and bounding in loving kindness, forgiving iniquity and transgressions. He will no, by no means clear the guilty, visiting iniquity of the fathers on the children the third, to the third and fourth generations. What's that? That's the name. That's the long version of God's name. Let the power of the Lord be great, just as you've declared. See, he's very interested in God making his name great. See, they've heard of your name, but help them know that this is really who you are. You see, he's dead center in what God wants to hear. Do you see, see a pattern for intercession? See, see why, God, why Jesus would, would encourage us to pray, sanctify your name? 
That's, that's where we, this is where we learned intercession as a people, right here, over the same issue. Pardon, I pray, the nickel of this people, according to the greatness of your loving kindness, just as if you've forgiven this people from Egypt until now. She says, you've got a great track record. We can, we can add to the story of how you're like this. If this is what you want the world to know about you, then be that way. Let the power of the Lord be great, just like you said you would be. Yes. You know, this, is, this is how to argue with God and win. <laughs> Verse 20, so the Lord said, I have pardoned them according to your word. Then I think a long silence. Everybody hears this. But indeed, as I live. Can you imagine God swearing by himself? I think if, if God, the tone of his voice got really firm. But indeed, as I live, look at this. All the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. Think on that. What's God saying? He says, okay, we'll take a pause. Another generation, maybe. Same nation, different generation. But let me be perfectly clear with everyone. I am not moving at all from my resolute purpose. This must come forth. All the earth will be filled with the glory of the Lord. I swear as I live. Tell me how God lives. So, I, 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 I want to let that seep into your soul because this is spoken at a juncture where God's people were stepping forward and saying, well, I don't know. Well, I don't know if we should. Just maybe later is at the right time. Should we got the right opportunity here? And that sense of pause. God's basically saying, I'm going to get this done. If I have to kill whole peoples, if I have to delay and wait a whole generation, we will accomplish what I have set out to bring forth. It's not like he's utilitarian. He's gracious and compassionate. That's why he, he's, he's waiting for some intercessor to stand up and say, be that way. He wants to hear stuff. He wants to hear this kind of argument. But there's warning in here. If God gives opportunity and God gives a generation and a people a place, a, a distinctive role in His unfolding purposes, it's not a lock that you get to do it. And you can wait a decade or do it next year or something like that. God, can, God, God will find someone else. If you're waiting for God to force you because He has to do His will in you and you're, 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 you're trying to get predetermined and have your life go on automatic, it, it's going to pass you by. And God's not going to like step on you and brush you aside. But, but, but if, if we as a people in this land or in this city just squirrel out because we're too busy and preoccupied and scared of what might happen if we really follow God. Instead, we would like to be safe ourselves. If, if, if that's what we're really after, then, then um, it, it's not a lock that God's just going to always do what He originally purposed to do. Now, I don't want to that, let that set in as discouragement because the overall theme of, of tonight's whole lesson is the faithfulness, the resolute faithfulness of God. This actually is an occasion of great faithfulness. But the faithfulness is based on this. Verse, the tone, the flavor of verse 21. By the way, this translation is a straight up literal Hebrew thing. 
and NIV and other translations take, take adventures with it. So you may want to just jot that down in your notes. All the earth will be filled with the, with the glory of the Lord. Echoes Habakkuk 2.14 and other passages. But um, there's, there's, a, there's an insistence that is built not on a boorish, I gotta be great because I gotta be me. There's some sort of uh, desire here that is huge. Let's back this. Okay, so I want you to, to get a get that awesome flavor and let, let the Lord deal with us as He will on that. Now they they got into the land. All kinds of different things go, goes on. The the, the uh, defiling of the land we, as we explored last time. Um, um, Solomon was the first one to institutionalize um, the, um, the the degradation of God's name. Um, but uh, but First Samuel was a uh, was another um, no I'm not going to go over that well yeah I will First Samuel the people got in a real real jam idolatry all kinds of stuff First Samuel 12 and Samuel said to the people do not fear you've committed all this evil yet don't turn aside from following the Lord serve the Lord with all your heart we're going to find out what more about serving the Lord with all your heart is that is practical passion. You gather up all your heart. Don't just serve them half heart. You go full force with it. You must not turn aside, for then you would go after futile things. That's 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 what if if you if you're not doing it with your whole heart, with a sense of intended desire and passion, you splinter off. All these different futile things. It's not just gods. We we don't have god problems, but futile things. You know, is it is it ever known of an American that they would like do a futile thing? I don't know, uh, but which cannot profit or deliver because they are futile. Just to be perfectly clear, what, what do you mean futile? You know, they don't profit. They don't they don't rescue you. Um, for the Lord will not abandon His people on account what of His great name, because the Lord has been pleased to make you a people for Himself. So here's people in trouble, and Samuel begins to see that the, it begins to advise them there's a constancy in God's heart there's a faithfulness here despite the idolatry that's there and uh, and so when when he comes to in, in 2 Samuel 7 he comes to David and uh, you, can, you can turn there and, and David says I want to build a house for God's name um, and, uh, and Nathan says wow that's a good idea go do it and then later that night information um, good idea, it is a good idea but you're not the one to build it um, and, and he says you're going to build a, a house verse 13, and he shall build a house for my name, speaking of, of David's greater son, Second Samuel 7.13, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever, and then look at, look at David's prayer in 2 Samuel 7, 18, he says, Who am I, O Lord, and what is my house that you brought me this far? And yet this was insignificant in your eyes, O Lord God, because you've spoken also of the house of your servant concerning the distant future. 
somehow David, it, it, it comes on his screen that this is the destiny of all humankind. That's, that, that's what the, the last phrase in verse 19 probably means. This is the law, or this is, this is the ultimate wrap-up destiny of, of all of Adam, which means inclusive gender, all the race. And again, what more can David say to you? What, what, what do we say? For the sake of your word, according to your own heart, you've done this greatness to let your servant know you're great and there's none like you, no other God besides you. Verse 23, What nation on earth is like your people Israel, who God redeemed for himself, to make a name for himself, and to do great things for you, and to awesome things for your land, before your people whom you've redeemed for yourself from Egypt, from the land, nations and their gods. See how that's, that's ingrained in their mind? Why not in your mind too? Just know that you're part of this people that started here, and we're continuing that story. It hasn't been broken. God's not starting a different one. For you've established for yourself your people Israel as your own people forever, and you, O Lord, have become their God. And, uh, and now, therefore, God, the word which you've spoken concerning your servant's house, confirm it forever and do as you've spoken, that your name may be magnified forever. So by saying, the Lord of hosts is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David be established before you. Something he sees about what God's going to do with this one nation, he knows is something for all the nations. And he knows that God has got something in it for himself. And so David, it says, followed God fully with all his heart, Solomon, as we explored last time, did not follow God with his whole heart. Didn't have this kind of overriding passion, vision, animating and fueling his heart. See, it was, it, the problem with Solomon, it wasn't the wives, really. It was he didn't follow God with his whole heart. This, what we just looked at there is the wholehearted passion. He says, you've done great things for us, but you're doing it for us. So something good can happen for you. A man after my own heart, God says of David. That's what it means to have a passion that is trained and built up and directed to have a God-focused life. It's not out of reach. It's not brand new in Jesus. People have been doing it a long time. Okay. So, um, there's different things that happen, though. Uh, let's, let's look at even more uh, faithfulness. Look at Second uh, Chronicles 32. I wish I had this on. I couldn't find this one. I thought I did it. Didn't have it. Second Chronicles 32. Uh, verses, verse 9. And Sennacherib, king of Assyria, sent his servants. Now this is, this is late in the, in the game. The kingdoms are divided. And it, Hezekiah is one of these kings. And, uh, and Hezekiah uh, it get, gets, a, gets this um, note from Sennacherib, king of Assyria. And... Um, and, and, and here's, uh, here's in verse 12, he sends this missive note to all the people to scare them. Has not the same Hezekiah taken away his high places and altars and said to Judah in Jerusalem, You shall worship before one altar and on it you shall burn incense. Do you not know that I, my fathers, have done to all the peoples of the land? See, Sennacherib, this false king from Assyria, I mean, just he's a real king, but he's, he's worshiping false gods. He says, look, don't, don't get in your mind that people of Israel, that you're going to stick or stay or can resist me because you have a great God. That's what all the people say. I just steamroll her through. Don't you know what I do to all these other gods? In verse 13, where were the gods of the nations of the lands able to deliver them their land from my hand? No. 14, was there among all the gods of these nations which my father utterly destroyed who could deliver his people out of the hand that your God should be able to deliver you from my hand? No. He says, he says, look, don't get so excited about your God. End of verse 15. How much less shall your God deliver you from my hand? 
So here's the nation's official taunt about what God's going to do. Second Chronicles 32, and uh, we're in verse 15. And uh, his servant spoke further against the Lord and, and uh, against his servant Hezekiah. He also wrote letters to insult the God of Israel and to speak against him, saying, As the gods of the nations of their lands have not delivered their people from my hand, so the God of Hezekiah shall not deliver his people from his hand. So we went into print on this. Really not wise. So, um, verse 20, King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. Note their prayer. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior and returned in shame to his own land. And they entered the temple of his own God. Some of his children killed him. Now, um, I, want, I want you to take note of, um, of, of what his prayer was. Hold your finger there, but at 2 Kings 19, it says a little bit more about what his prayer was. Same event, different book, recording it. Tells a little more detail. 2 Kings verse 19, verse 14. Then Hezekiah took that letter. Remember I said he went into print? Here's the letter. The letter from the hand of the messengers read it and went up to the house of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are thrown above the cherubim, you are God, you alone, you of all the kings of the earth, you made the heaven and earth. Incline your ear and open your eyes and see the words of Sennacherib. And uh, he begins to complain about all these things. And 2 Kings 19. Verse 15. Verse 15. Hezekiah says, O Lord, the God of Israel, who are throned above the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. See how fixed he is? He praises him. Then verse 19. And now, O Lord God, I pray. Here's his prayer. Deliver us from his hand. Why? Here's the reason. That all the kings of the earth may know that you alone, O Lord, are God. That was his prayer. We already saw what happened is that you know, God just destroyed the whole situation. So that was a situation of one of the good kings. Remember all these good kings, bad kings, good kings, bad kings. Here's one of the good kings. And this is when God did it, one of his demonstrative things. You can't help but think maybe that's what was going on all along. Is when people understood that God wanted glory for himself amongst the nations. And this is a people for his name. No wonder he would deliver them. They weren't just his favorites. They were his, his specialty people, display case people, to whom would be attracted all the other nations to join them. Here's another example of a, of a king that had a, had a rough life. Uh, uh, Manasseh, uh, 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 turn back to Second Chronicles, chapter 33. The king after Hezekiah, good king, here's a bad king, Manasseh. Um, chapter, Second Chronicles, verse 33. And um, verse 2 says, He did evil in the sight of the Lord, according to the abominations of the nations the Lord dispossessed. Verse 4 says, He built altars in the house of the Lord, which the Lord said, My name shall be in Jerusalem forever. See, the writer of Chronicles says, This is not what you want. You know, because this is, this is where God's name is. You don't confuse that, even coming within 500 miles. But here is actually in the same courts. And, uh, and He built altars for all the hosts of heaven, the two courts of the house of God. Verse 5 says, Awesomely rude thing to do. Verse 7, he put the carved image of the idol which he had made in the house of God, of which God had said to David and Solomon's son, in this house and in Jerusalem, which I have chosen from all the tribes, I will put my name forever. So God's establishing his glory for the nations right there and Manasseh is probably the most vile 
of, of the, all the pursuers and uh, of this kind of thing. And, uh, and so what, what happened? There was a slow reconversion of, of God's people. Um, actually, what happened to Manasseh is very interesting. It has this greater faithfulness. Um, the Lord spoke to Manasseh's people, verse 10, but they paid no attention. Therefore, the Lord brought commanders of the army of king of Syria. They captured Manasseh and took him to Babylon. Here's, here's the ra- simple rationale for the captivity to Babylon. It wasn't spank, you've been bad, we're going to punish you, for that's, that's not good stuff. They, it, it was for his namesake, he was dealing with them. And when he was in great distress, he entreated the Lord God, verse 12, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers, and he prayed to him. Look at, God, look at what God does in verse 13. He was moved by his entreaty, heard his supplication, and brought him again to Jerusalem, to his kingdom. Then Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. And then he, and then he, he did things, uh, what he could, um, for, for the name of the Lord. Um, he cleaned up the temple and all kinds of things in verse 15. So, what, what am I trying to say here? This, this jumbled mass of like good king, bad king, idolater, whatever, it starts making sense. It starts having this cogent pattern to it, this focus of a story which you are still a part of. See unfolding going on. Now I want to take it one more event. We'll take to uh, do, do something else. Is, is a look at Jonah. Jonah is um, is in the prophets, one of the prophets. But uh, take a look at Jonah. If I can find it. Jonah, my All right. So um, now, often Jonah, we fix on that story as like the, the, the whale or the fish story, right? That's what Jonah's all about. And the take-home moral at the end of the story is, even God sees where you are, you know? And so it's like, yikes, you know, I better obey. So that's the, that's the general take-home we think kids can get. And, uh, and, and so uh, even grown-up sermons are, are about, don't try to mess with what God's purpose is for your life. You better do it, or he'll track you down. Anyway, and, and all kinds of people are living lives of rebellion and, and taking God's grace in vain and God hasn't snuffed them out yet. So, um, so what, what is really going on here? Look at chapter 3. I don't have time to get in the fish story, but it says, uh, it, 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 basically, God gives, speaks to Jonah a second time. The second time. See, he, he says, I want you to go speak a word of rescue, of, of, of punishment to Nineveh. And, and Jonah's thinking, Wow, this is our greatest enemy. I'll just destroy our greatest enemy without a shot being fired. I'll be a hero. So I'll just not do the prophetic message that God has. And I'll, I'll, I'll just let you know, them lose by forfeit. They didn't get any word, no decision. But so, you know, it's just and it'll work out. So that's what he's doing. The Lord said in the second time, do this. And look at what he says the second time. Verse 2. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and proclaim to it the proclamation which I'm going to tell you, which he's supposed to tell it. He's supposed to tell everything. Proclaim to it everything I'm going to tell you. That's basically what he's supposed to do. But verse 4 says, Jonah began to go through the city one day's walk. But what was it? Verse 3, it was a three days walk. What I'm going to suggest, you try this out for size, is that Jonah did not cover all of Nineveh. He he just did a, a shortcut through it. And I don't think he told him everything that God wanted him to hear. Why would I suggest that? 
it says, even if a little scant bit, you have 40 days and then it will be overthrown. And Jonah's up on the hillside. He's counting 40 days. 38, 39, 40, 41, 42. So, well, there's a couple extra days. Maybe I should have gone, you know, the three days walk, you know, or something. Day 45, he's steaming mad. Why is he mad? Because he's been watching to see the, the, the fireworks. But what happened in verse 5, the people believed in God. That's straight up thing. Can people believe in the Old Testament? Can Gentiles believe in the Old Testament? Yes. They believe God. Well, you know, that's, you know, we all believe, but I mean, how about turning their life around? Read on. It's amazing. The king of Nineveh gets involved in this and, and I think verse, verse 8 is, uh, is probably the most beautiful description of repentance in all the Bible. Look at this. Both man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let man call on God earnestly that each may turn from his wicked way and from the violence which is in his hands. Let's call on God earnestly. That, that God would help us to turn. But actually turn so that the, that the patterns, our habits, what actually comes forth out of our hands, not just our hearts, would be turned and changed. So you have repentance built on faith. Wow, repentance of faith in the Old Testament by Gentiles? Yes. But Jonah... Verse, verse, verse 1 of chapter 4 it says, Greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was not this what I said while I was still in my own country? What did he say? What's he upset about? Therefore, in order to forestall this, what's this? He, what did he want to stop from happening? He wanted to stop this repentance of faith from repentance. I fled to Tarshish. He wanted to stop that from happening. For I knew. What did he know? You probably know the music to this. Because it says, For I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. That is the long version of God's name with a few word changes. Centuries later from Moses, he knows it is at the kernel, at the core of what the, the nations are to know about God. And he knew, it's not just that that was news that they needed to hear, he knew that God would always be that way. And any, any nation, from any place, any time, turns to God, God's going to be that way. And if you tell them about it, they'll, know, they'll, they'll accelerate it. And so, he wanted to stop all that from happening. He wanted to hold that secret. What The most burning uh, phrase in all this book is in chapter 3, verse 9. Who knows? The king of Nineveh is guessing. He says, well, put, put uh, dirt on the donkeys and stuff. You know, whatever it takes. You know, because who knows? Maybe God will turn and relent from his burning anger. We don't know. We have no idea you know, how God might be. We know he could incinerate. We know we're worthy of it. We feel it. We want, want Maybe he can turn us from the violence which is in our ways, way, way down to the fabric of our whole city and society. We're sick. We need to be turned from that. And we're deserving of worse. But maybe, maybe he'll turn and relent. We don't know. We haven't ever heard of such a thing. That's a, and, and you're supposed to catch it. Ignore the chapter break. In Hebrew, it's bright and clear. Who knows? Maybe God turns and relents. Because I knew you were gracious and compassionate. And you relent concerning calamity. And so God's people knew more than they were saying. 
this actually happened. I, I, I believe Jonah's, you know, literal, everything happened just as, just as it says. And you see God, God giving him a second chance, yes, almost a third chance. Because he ends up saying, no, wait a minute. Here, I did this nice thing for Nineveh, everything like that, and you're upset. You know, and so the book ends on a joke. It's, it's like, so you don't like, to, you don't care about the people. How about animals? Do you like animals? You know, it's like, how about, what, if, what about the animals in the town? And, I mean, don't you even care at all? Should I not be concerned? Is, is God's question. But, but he's not, God's not scolding him saying, you should be concerned. He says, wait a minute, consider me. Do I get concerned about such things? Should maybe you too? And so, the, 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 it's not a pressure game to just, you have to go missions or we're going to throw you out of the boat unless you go do be a, go be a missionary for God. It's just that God has always revealed himself that way. And it turns out that this is kind of a stubborn pattern of God's people, the way we have, have often just stood and blinked and looked and hoped that God would really really do this do this nation in because they deserve it. So um, why, why am I going into, into Jonah? Because I think later people, when they read this thing that really happened during Jonah's time, which is way early, when they actually went to places close to Nineveh and got dragged there involuntarily and got plopped down in the city and wished God's wrath on them and someone probably might have brought out every once in a while the book of Jonah or this record says remember Jonah how he didn't want to go to the nations but God brought him to the nations anyway Remember how the remember they didn't know if God turned that right climbing well, 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 well. You know, and you can see how God's people are probably smitten as they were scattered amongst the nations. Especially when you read Jonah's prayer, which we're going to refer to again, about about wanting to see and direct his prayer toward God's house, the house for his name. And how he wants to get back to this house, and God says, You want to do house? Let me show you. We're going to build house out here. But, but you'll have a heart for my house when you see what I, they have a heart for the nations. So that's why in point F, out of the land and back, an even, even just greater display of faithfulness. Exodus, uh, excuse me, Ezekiel was one of these guys. Um, during the, the, the late prophets, during the, um, turn to Ezekiel 20. It's kind of a long deal. A long chapter, and we're not going to be able to go over it all. But I want you to just to know of it. Um, God goes through the whole story with His people, and every and He goes through. He tells it Ezekiel style and says, "This is what happened. I I I, I found you, and I brought you out of Egypt, and uh, I, I I formed you, but you rebelled against me." Verse eight. Then I resolved to pour my wrath on them to accomplish my anger against the midst of the land of Egypt. But I acted. Verse 9 of Ezekiel 20, for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations whom they lived, in whose sight I made myself known by bringing them out of the land of Egypt. That's just exactly what we've just read concerning what Moses prayed. God didn't want to trivialize or, or screw up the, the track record of his name. He acted on the sake of his name, not just because he, he liked this nice people. He's been very straight up with him. He says, I acted on, on behalf of my name. So I took them out of the land of Egypt and brought them in a wilderness. 
and uh, he dealt with them in there. And you see a few verses pass about that, um, and uh, it's all the way through verse 13. And he resolved to pour his wrath on them in the wilderness, because they, they were still rebelled against me in the wilderness, verse 13 starts with. But verse 14, I acted on the sake of my name, that it should not be profane in the sight of the nations, for whose sight I brought them out. See, he's doing stuff in the sight of the nations, didn't want to profane his name. And I swore to them in the wilderness that I would not bring them into the land which I that I would not bring them into the land which I had given them, flowing with milk and honey, which is the glory of all lands, because they rejected my ordinances. He goes on to say that they just kept fussing with my with the details that aren't hard. And I just wanted to sanctify my Sabbath, verse 20, that it shall be a sign between you and me that you may know that I am the Lord your God. But they rebelled against me. They didn't walk in these little easy things to do. They kept adding little details and then fussing with each other and confusing it and giving themselves merit badges. Verse 21, So I resolved to pour out my anger on them to accomplish my anger against them in the wilderness. That, but I withdrew my hand and acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I brought them out. And uh, it, it goes on um, to say, uh, verse 27, Ezekiel sums up every, uh, onto the end of the chapter, that, uh, that he, he's going to deal with them in the same way he's done with them up until this time. And uh, in verse, uh, verse, I think it's verse... 39 is a summary of Ezekiel 20. As for you, O house of Israel, go serve everyone as idols, but later you, you will surely listen to me, and on the ho- my holy name you will profane no longer with your gifts and with your idols, for on my holy mountain, on the high mountain of Israel, there the whole house of Israel, all of them will serve me in the land, there I shall accept them, there I shall seek your contributions and the choices of your gifts with all your holy things, as a soothing aroma I shall accept you. All these beautiful worship things, he's going to receive their glory. When I bring you out from amongst the peoples and gather you from the lands where you are scattered, I shall prove myself holy. See that? Sanctified, separate, different, wonderful. Amongst you in the sight of the nations. And you'll know that I'm the Lord when I bring you into the land. And uh, it it, it goes on to say, um, verse 44, You will know that I am the Lord and I've dealt with you for my namesake, not according to your evil ways or according to your corrupt deeds. I've dealt with you according to my namesake. It's not because he liked them and they were lovely. It's not because they were corrupt and wretched. Ultimately, fundamentally, he was dealing with them according to his namesake. Turns out a whole different story, doesn't it? It means it's essentially not a moralistic story. It means essentially our relationship with God as his people adjoined to this first faith family. Now we are the larger faith family. Every bit as much a part of this as, as, as they were by faith in Christ through his seed. But now we are for that faith family. God is dealing with us not in any kind of different way. In fact, we can almost see ourselves in Ezekiel 36. Is, uh, is, is a summary. And it could be what, what God is doing with us. Verse 22. Thus says the Lord your God, It is not for your sake, O Hesperus, that I am about to act, but for my holy name, which you have profaned amongst the nations where you went. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned amongst the nations. Ezekiel 36 verse 23. Which you have profaned in their midst. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord when I prove myself holy amongst you in your sight. 
I will take you from the nations, gather you from the lands, bring you into your own land. And all kinds of things. He goes into this new covenant thing. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness, from your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you will be careful to observe all my ordinances. And you will live in the land that I gave to your forefathers. So you be my people. I will be your God. Why is he going to do all that? Verse 32. I'm not doing this for your sake, declares the Lord. Be it known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. Ultimately, he doesn't want to just leave them in the dust all ashamed and confounded. But he doesn't want to say, we're special. We're supposed to be out the land because we have this thing. He said, we get this land and we're special. And so you can prance around and say, we're king's kids. Or something like that. And, and consider yourself privileged somehow. But God is dealing with us for his namesake. Every bit as much as him. Now the prophetic destiny. I'm going to go over this. And and, um, and uh, break a little bit. Look at, look at this prophetic destiny. Even though there was, a, there was a back and forth. In and out of the land. There's a, there's a couple other passages from Jeremiah and Isaiah. But I, I think we... Maybe probably hit our saturation point, so I'm just going to actually blitz you a little bit more. Um, how about this? Habakkuk 2.14. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's, that's, that's sort of awesome. And uh, Zephaniah uh, 3.9. Then I will give to the people's purified lips that all of them may call on the name of the Lord. We'll explicitly call on the name of the Lord to serve Him shoulder to shoulder. All these different peoples. There's prophetic destiny, not just for Israel to get clean up its act, but that the nations are going to be um, exalting him by name. And the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day, the Lord will be the only one, and his name, the only one. And Malachi, I don't know if we mentioned this last time, I think we might have. Malachi 1, for the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great amongst the nations. And in every place, incense can be offered to my name and a great offering that is pure for my name will be great amongst the nations says the Lord of hosts but you're profaning it in that you say no the table of the Lord is defiled its fruit is despised it's just, well it's just, it's just religion you know it's just who cares if it's like a, a, you know, a cantaloupe or an avocado I mean what is the difference I mean they were they were being realists you know and saying you know if it's defiled so what and he's saying you're profaning you're trivializing it Ultimately, yes, it does. I mean, the, the, the protoplasm on the platter doesn't ultimately have a great big difference to make. But you see, the gift brings the giver. And he says, it's just, it's just, I am a great king. I'm to be feared amongst the nations. And so I, I institute etiquette protocol of worship, and, and, and it must come forth as I've ordained it. It's, it. it's more issue that I be exalted and honored than it is, does it work or not? Does this work out for us? Does this, is this a fulfilling exercise for us to bring these dead goats in? I mean, what difference does it really end up? I mean, couldn't we just mail it in? God says, don't mail it in. Don't be cash with me. Because this isn't all about you having a wonderful religious fulfillment experience. Ultimately, the house of, for his name is not for you. It's, it's, it's for his glory amongst the nations. Now, we're going to get into the worship phenomena next time and, and, and see uh, some, some amazing things. Amos is a wonderful thing. In that day, I will raise up the fallen booth of David. 
wall up its breaches, I will raise up its ruins. This is going to tag into the, when we explore the house of God in lesson 4 and 5. And, uh, and they may possess the remnant of Edom. The Hebrew word could just as well be Adam, which is the whole human race. And all the nations who are called by my name, declares the Lord who does this. We're going to see this in a few minutes in the New Testament. And it's kind of an awesome thing to see there. How it's quoted. And it is quoted as Adam, as in all of humankind. Now, um, th- th- that's why I see this, this prophetic destiny for his, his namesake. Um, there's one, one final um, passage in Isaiah that has been really awakening me. I've just been stirring myself up with it. And if you, you find Isaiah 64, actually it begins Isaiah 60, well, way back, but let's just end up, the, the, the last, um, verse 15 of Isaiah 63. Actually, we've already read Isaiah 63, verse 14. Speaking of the Exodus, you, you did lead your people. You made for yourself a glorious name. Look down from heaven and see your holy and glorious habitation. Where are your zeal and your mighty deeds? See, here, let me take a break here and just, just cue you in on something. It's it's really not about how to stir yourself up and get white hot for God. Ultimately, it's God's passion and desire for His Son. Old Testament things, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't altogether clear of the Father and the Son. All they knew that God was zealous for Himself somehow. And it wasn't clear that that zeal had this agape, devoted, passionate love to it. God hadn't yet made that all clear. But you see Isaiah saying, where's your zeal? Why don't you do something for yourself? 63 verse 15. The stirrings of your heart and your compassion are restrained somehow as I perceive them toward me or toward anything. I I, I see your own heart. It, It doesn't seem like you're stirring yourself up. For you are a father, though Abraham doesn't know us. Even if Abraham just says, we don't know, you guys are nothing like me. I never would have gone on you. So still, you're our father. Even if we couldn't claim Abraham as our father, you're our father. We have no one else to go to. You're a redeemer. From old, you're a redeemer. You are, that's your name. You've got that track record. We don't have anybody else to go to. Why, O oh Lord, do you cause us to stray from your ways and harden our hearts from fearing you? Return for the sake of your servants, the tribes of, of your heritage. Praying for revival. Here's its quintessence passage. Your holy people possessed your sanctuary for a little while, and our adversaries have trodden it down. We have become like those over whom you have never ruled, like those who were not called by your name. That's, what, that's what's happened to us. Look, and no chapter break. Read on. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. That the mountains might quake at your presence as fire kindles the brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your enemies. That the nations may tremble at your presence. Does this guy know what God does, what God wants? I'm asking you to lift your heart, let your heart follow after God's own zeal. Here's a man who knows God's zeal. He says, you've left off your zeal. 
Watch you, would you just rend the heavens and come down? You are the zealous for your name. Be that way, God. Here's what it's like. And, and, and you're not going to find your own passion go, go full force without having a yearning for this kind of expansive arrival of God, dealing with utmost completion in his dealings and reward and recompense to all the nations. When you did awesome things, we did not expect. When you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. For from of old they have not heard or perceived by ear. Nor has I ever seen a God besides you who acts on behalf of the one who waits for him. Can't write that. Hopes for him. For you do meet him who rejoices in doing righteousness, who remembers you in the ways. Behold, you are angry. We sinned. We continue them a long time. And shall we be saved? We become like one who is unclean. Talking about a whole society thing here. You know what it's like. Don't, don't divorce yourself from Austin and say, well, we're not like all those decrepit people down there. You've got to pray this one all together. We're like a people that's, that's um, just like a filthy garment. All of us have become like a leaf. He, he, he's, he's talking corporate here. Remember I said, think of yourself as, as a peoplehood and you'll understand scriptures a lot better. And our iniquities, like the wind, they just take us away. We're just... We're just this deep intrinsic sin that's gripped the whole societies at a stroke. You know, we're like we're like a sail before the wind. We're just floating on it. And then he says, and there is no one who calls on your name who arouses himself to take hold of you. For you have hidden your face from us. You've delivered us into the power of our iniquities. And that really got me recently. There's no one who arouses himself to take hold of you. I'm going to teach you a little bit, some practical stuff, about how I've seen that God gives ways for us to arouse ourselves. But you can't wake yourself up any more awakened than God is awake towards you. That's why he calls on God's own zeal, his own burning, passionate endeavors. Now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are a clay. You are a potter. We are all of us a work of your hand. And it goes on... um, and, and, and you just have to read the whole thing. It's, it, it's just an awesome thing to pray that God would be there. And God says, yes, I'll answer that, but it's going to be drastic. Now, what I want us to do now is... Um, is um, actually, I, w- I want you to talk to the other person you already talked with and say, what, what are you hearing that adds to what you already learned? What questions do you have? We'll come back to that. Here's uh, Jesus' own life um, culmination. I don't know what this is going to be like on the tape, but um, Palm Sunday, biggest public event in Jesus' life. We're going to come back to that event on, um, on Lesson uh, 6. But um, there, were these, uh, there were these Greeks that went up at the feast, full-blown guys from Athens, not, not Hellenized Jews. They said, we want to see Jesus. There he is across the street. No, you, you, don't, you don't understand. We want to see Jesus. We want to encounter him. This is, we came from a long ways to like worship, and we heard, heard this one high holy God here, the nations, just like in Solomon's day, hearing of God's name, coming because of his namesake, coming to the temple called by his name, and they come there, they worship for a week, and they say, but it's him. He's the guy. That's who we came for. So Philip from Bethsaida, the Greek-speaking town, tells, tells Andrew, and they, uh, and they discuss it a little bit, and they say, well, he usually talks about dying or something. He never wants to get famous. We can't seem to get him out in the open at all. This is the most public hour he's going for. He seems to be in a mood for this kind of thing. Let's ask him. And so they tell Jesus, and, he, and Jesus says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. John 12, verse 23. And 
They go, wow, he's going to go for it. You know, and do, then he said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless the grain of white falls in the earth and dies, or abides by itself alone. And, and, and Andrew says, see, I told you, Philip, you know, he's always got, he always wants to fade out and die or something. We can never get a, get a good thing going to get the public notoriety that we would think you would need. And then Jesus basically says something about following me. He's telling him, says, I want you to follow me. What I'm going through, you'll go through. Take note of the stakes. What's really here. He's not just saying, oh gosh, I need some space. I, I got to work through a big decision. He's saying, Listen, watch what I'm about to do. It, it has a lot to do with the fut- your own future life. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. Where I am, there shall my servant also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. That would be obscene if it wasn't in the Bible. The Father is going to honor people. But now my soul has become troubled. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. Before this purpose, I came to this hour. He's got basically two prayers he can pray. One is, get me out of this. That's a 10,000 angels option. He could have said, look, I want to just fade out. You know, I, I, I escape. Can we do the escape thing? Is there the button, the hatch or something? It's like I'm in way too deep and, um, and you pull off the rescue things, right? So I need help. I didn't want to be a missionary anyway. Like this, and this friendship evangelism is like really frightening. So I'm just going to stay home and pray, or something like that. So um, and, and 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 all kinds of you can do big escape, little escape. But Jesus basically says, I got that option. What's the other prayer? Amazing one, Father, glorify your name. Then he prayed, Father, glorify your name. He prayed it real loud. He said, my soul's troubled. What's a soul troubled? What's, what's a soul troubled? What is that? What is it when a soul is troubled? That's when your, your higher desires are being tugged at by something lesser, a safety thing or some sort of uh, self-security deal. And you've got a fork in the road and it goes right through this, it skewers the middle of your heart. And, you, and, 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 you, and you're pulled in, di- in different directions. And it's not simplex. Now, why would Jesus tell us that? Why wouldn't he just go off champion and say, well, I'll die. I, I, someone's got to die for the people. No, he says, listen, my soul is troubled. I just told you, follow God. I'm not doing this easy. Let me tell you how I see the fork in the road. Either I say, Father, get me out of this, or I say, I'll do it, whatever you want. No, he says this, Father, glorify your name. I align myself, I lay myself down for your purpose. I don't know if you ever had soul trouble. If not, you might. You probably will. If you have any aspiration of following Jesus, I mean, the clue is big. It's in print. You're going to run into some situation where the crisscross desires and habits of heart are going are gonna to just make it really tough. It's not like I'm going through a thing. It's like, are you going to follow God and unfolding with a jealousy for His purpose? Is it, it, it might even cost something. You might have to change your life. How are you going to do? What are you gonna, what's going to help you sort that out? How do you sort through soul trouble? I wouldn't do it any other way than what I knew Jesus did. I mean, in fact, I have tried. I think about every other which way. I never seem to come through. I have come through what I think is just a small little smidgen of soul trouble. And here's, here's what I think, the fork in the road. It may have other pain and signs. You know, Istanbul or 
Dallas or something. It could be look like that. That's usually not the fork in the road. Externally pain, externally pain. What it really says underneath the signs is, get me out of this, or Father, glorify your name. Wouldn't it be great if you get God to talk to you from heaven? Just like, say, go to Istanbul, or like, stay home and get married. You know, that was God. I needed to hear that. It's good. You know, it's like, as soon as I thought, I mean, wouldn't it be good if you could get God to take, talk to you one time out of heaven? You get a little token. Say, good for one from the sky announcement. You could sell them anyway. I know they, I could sell them, but I don't know if they would work or not, you know. <laughs> but, but you could say, wow, the weather, you got to you know, discernment. You just don't have that gift, you know. But uh, No, there's no money back. Yeah, you bought your deal. But uh, you, could, you could do all kinds of scams with that. But for this, I'm telling you, folks, you don't need it. Well, look what happened for Jesus. I mean, he gets God to talk to him in heaven. Look what it says. There came a voice out of heaven that says, I will glorify it and will glorify it again. And Jesus says, Oh, what a relief. I needed that. This is going to be all right now. That's not what he says. Look what he says. This voice didn't come for my sake. It came for your sake. It came for your sake. What does that mean? All the way along, he's thinking, guys, they're going to follow me. They're going to go through this. They're going to have greater opportunity than this. So I want them to know what happens when anyone prays this prayer? When anyone lays their life down for God's glory, for His name, to glorify His name? What's the answer? You know what God said? Listen, interpret what happens from the sky. What does God say? I have both glorified it, I will glorify it again. Short version, I always glorify my name. The answer is yes. I don't know what kind of answers to prayers you're wanting for your life. If you want, often we press God for guidance and we usually just want advice. And we'll think about it. But God's not giving advice. He's not even giving you, you know, Urim Thummim, yes, no, go, up, down. He's basically saying, He's reaffirming what He always does. I always glorify my name. It's a life well lived. It's poured out with Jesus. Though it cost your soul trouble. So I don't want to promise, you know, passion and get all excited and get cleaned up and focused in and, and live happily ever after with Jesus. You follow Jesus very far. You're going to, to, to fully live for the glory of His name is costly. Always it. So we're going to have to take up uh, Paul another time. But uh, I wanted to point out. Um, now let's just let's just leave it there. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to somebody else and, and just. First Corinthians nine, um, no, excuse me, ten. Sorry, I start, I start the whole passage starts in nine, but I'm just going to give you the verse. First Corinthians ten, verse thirty-one. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Interesting. Like it's possible to actually integrate your life, even come to down how you eat, where you eat, and drink. You know, just just basic bodily functions can be wrapped around what happens for God's glory. And it goes on to say there's something, there's ways to do this that could offend whole parts of the church or different populations that have yet to know Christ. And you can, pour, you can live your life with a vision that God's desire come forth, which is that people be saved. So it's not just living that, that you don't offend anybody. He, he's not describing here, verse 32 and 33, that, uh, how he's codependent with 
you know, the continent and sort of trying to please everybody. He's basically saying God's glory is that people be saved and follow him. Now, here's how I've learned how to live that way. I've given you two, two passages that are, are amazing. And I, I uh, because of the wonderful time I had today, um, I didn't prepare my uh, transparencies so I, what I, that I wanted to show you how these are similar. But uh, I did get this far, so I want to show you these. Colossians 3, 16, 17. There's three things that show up in both these passages. Um, uh, Colossians 3, I'm, I'm about to get there. Um, it starts off, Let the word of Christ which you dwelt in you, with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another, with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. So this kind of teaching can help. This kind of teaching and exchange of truth and blessing that comes forth in house churches, that helps. But, but there's something melodious that has to rip loose. And there's something unique about our hearts that sing. And I don't know if chanting's your style, maybe that's it. But there's some sort of song. I haven't designed these times to take a lot of time in song. We may do that sometime, but I don't seem to be able to put boundaries on my time all that well. We're going to get out on time. But I want to encourage you, like point one, get your heart going in speech and song to the Lord. Discipline yourself to sing and speak to the Lord in thanks as you rise and lie down. I just found that it, even if I don't feel like it, I just do it. I say something out loud. And uh, sometimes my, you know, my wife's already asleep or something. By the time I get to bed, so I was like, I'm out in the living room or something like that. I just sign off, at least verbally. And here's what I found is, this, is to talk about. What do you talk about to God? Thank Him. That, that doesn't mean roll the credits and say, isn't, you know, God is good, God is great. Credit is different than thanks. Credit is like ascribing him. That's good. That, that gives God's glory. Let's give God the credit. That's good. But thanks is always personal. Thanks is always in your face. See, I can give Ron credit for being a pastor. That's a great pastor. I think we'd all do, we'd agree. And be, and we want, so I just gave him credit for that. So it would be different if Ron was right here and he had to step out but I said Ron thanks for pastoring me through the, through the tough year that'd be that'd be similar but different don't fail to thank God right to his face express to him to the intimacy to this and, and song can help lift your heart to, to where it's, it's moving according to what it desires but if you focus that music toward the Lord don't just sing about God sing to him that's what's, that's what's in it. Okay, the second thing is make a change for the name. Now look at this Look at this verse. It says, verse 17, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. How do you do all in the name? Let me suggest to you something. How about for His name? 